Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. Today, we are discussing emotional freedom in parenting with the wonderful Ashley Warner. I know you're going to love this one, so enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with Physio Laura. Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Rounding out the year, there's some Christmas vibes in the air and there's only two more podcast interviews left for me to release before we have a hiatus and an indefinite break from the podcast and I'm so excited because these are some amazing interviews coming to your ears and today it is with my beautiful friend Ash who is an amazing family psychologist. You'll find her at Raising Humans Kind on social media and we are discussing emotional freedom in parenting. Now Ash speaks to a topic's of kids and stuck and sensitive kids and all these other things. But the reason I wanted to get her on to talk about this today is I think she speaks so beautifully to how we as parents can regulate ourselves, how we can gain emotional freedom amongst the chaos of family dynamics and family life and kids and chores and all of those things. Because I feel for me as a parent, in all the research and you know things I've listened to over the years, anything that was only ever kid-focused was really only ever half the picture for me. And, you know, I would try to hold space for my kids and do all the things. But if I wasn't doing it for myself and I wasn't regulating my own nervous system and holding space for my own feelings and thoughts and emotions, I was useless really to my children. You can't really bypass that step of acknowledging what's true for you and then being able to hold that for your children. Like it's very inauthentic and it just doesn't really work very well. So I find the way Ash talks about these topics really beautiful, really sustainable, and really grounded. She practices what she preaches. She, I, I know her personally. I see her mother, her own children, and she is a really, really beautiful mentor in this space. And I think the things we discuss today are really going to help to free up so much weight that a lot of mothers, parents might be carrying, like the fact that you know, we might think we need to entertain our kids all day, or we might think that we need self-care away from them and for long periods of time and all these things that might be rules that maybe don't serve you or might be things that you have taken on as things that should happen for you to be a great parent, but maybe it's not working for you. So I think you're going to love this chat with Ash today. She's an incredible human. And if you want to connect with her further, like I said, you can find her at Raising Humans Kind. And as always, I would love to hear from you please jump on over to at Physio Laura and let me know what your favorite takeaway from this episode was. Like I said, there's only two more interviews left before I close out for this season. So do make sure you subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so that you don't miss the last one to be released next week. But without further ado, let's jump into this incredible chat with my beautiful friend, Ash. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Ash. I'm so excited to have you here. It's super weird for me to be interviewing you because <laughs> you were my friend before you were someone that I wanted to interview on the podcast. So this feels really casual and I apologize to the listeners in advance if I am way too casual about this conversation and not taking it as seriously as normal. But I see Ash every week. We're great friends and she's also an amazing practitioner. So I knew I wanted to get her on the podcast because the way she shares about 
how we can regulate ourselves in parenting and how we can hold space without the need to leave our children and go away and do all these lavish self-care things is really powerful. And as a conversation, I definitely think we need to have. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Laura. Thanks for having me. I've felt this like funny feeling coming on today. I'm like, oh, normally I just, I love podcasts. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a bit nervous or something talking to you outside of just like being at the beach or sitting at the park while our kids play. It feels like somewhat serious and professional. Yeah, I know. I know. I feel like we need to put like a, a professional front on. Yes. We're literally going to see ready. each other in a social In another hour. In another hour. <laughs> and here we are. We live around the corner. We're on Zoom right now doing this chat. But what I think is cool about this though, because it is, I always talk about the podcast for me is like the conversations that I genuinely do have with other mums at the park that I get to share them to a wider platform. And this is like a real life example of that. Like these are the chats that we would have at the park when we catch up and all of that. But it's just really cool that I actually get to share your voice and your wisdom now with thousands of people. So yeah, I'm really pumped about it. So I want to start talking about emotional freedom in parenting, emotional capacity, how we can really look after ourselves. And I think it really begins as why does parenting activate so much in us? Like I know any other parents out there will probably resonate. I felt pretty chill, pretty calm before I became a parent. I became a parent and oh my gosh, it felt like I had all these buttons and my children just knew how to push them all the time. So what is it about parenting, do you think, that brings up so many of these maybe, you know, what feels like new emotions or fresh activation and we're, whoa, where's this coming from? Yeah. Yeah. I think intimate relationships for a start do tend to bring up a lot of our stuff. Like it's very easy to be calm on you know, a mountaintop or in a retreat when we're by ourselves and there's no one else around. But the thing about intimate relationships is that they are there to serve our deeper growth. And that closeness and that connection with another human being is the very thing that activates those unhealed parts of us or those inner wounds that we've yet to dive into. And I think it's particularly challenging or particularly activating for children because they also have that big immaturity piece. Like they don't bring the regulation or the ability to see different perspectives that maybe our partner might bring. And so there's that just, there's nothing like an immature child to test the maturity of an adult. And so their impulse control challenges and their just their challenges with being in the world can really activate so much of us and really test our own levels of maturity. And then, of course, it goes so much deeper than that. There's also an idea that the age at which our child is will bring up the very things that we are yet to resolve. So if our child is four, for example, and they are struggling with kinder drop-off, for example, then that can bring up any of our own stuff around separation that we may not have yet had a chance to work through. And it just gives us this really beautiful opportunity to have another go. So what we couldn't do when we were four or when we were six or when we were two, because maybe we didn't have the support or maybe our parents weren't able to support us in the way that we needed, we now have the opportunity to have that pain and that discomfort and that crunchy stuff all surface and we get to respond in a different way and that's what allows it to integrate into the nervous system. So it's an incredibly challenging time, but if we can use it to serve our own growth, it's also incredibly powerful. It's so liberating on the other side. Like you said, it's so challenging and I can see how it can feel 
like an almost impossible task when you're trying to parent these little ones in the best way you know how, while also reparenting yourself in so many ways. But I love what you said about it's an opportunity to have another go. So rather than having regret or I wish things were different for me because we can't change the past, it's this really powerful ability to be able to do it over, right? And I think that's really liberating, especially for those women who are like, oh my God, this is so hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's really amazing. So I did your amazing little masterclass on emotional freedom. And I found that really powerful because I don't feel like the way you say it is out there very often. I hadn't heard it spoken about the way you talk about it. So could you maybe explain to the listeners, because I'm sure it sounds very appealing, what does emotional freedom in parenting look like to you? And what sort of practical things or advice or guidance do you have for them on how they might be able to gain just even a tiny bit more emotional freedom in their parenting? Yeah. So I guess emotional freedom isn't about not having challenging emotions come up, right? It's not that we are going to, we're not aiming for this like life of like zen and calm and no anger or no frustration. It's about changing our relationship with the emotions when they arise. And so when the rage surfaces or when the sadness comes up or when we feel that disappointment, what is our relationship to that emotion? And if we change our relationship to that emotion and we can accept it and we can feel it and we can be with the sensations that arise and we can do the inner work, like maybe do a self-inquiry practice or we can go into that in a second. But if we can actually see that emotion for what it is, and we don't have either judgment or identification with it, then our relationship to that emotion changes and that's where the freedom lies. Mm. So it's not about never having the challenging emotions. It's not about having a day of calm, but it's about when my frustration arises, what am I making that mean? Mm. And when my frustration arises, am I identifying with it? I'm such a frustrated parent. I can't do this. Or am I judging it? I shouldn't have this. This shouldn't be here when actually it's just an emotion, mm. an emotion if it's there. That is what is. So when we fight with reality, that's where the suffering comes in. Mm. The emotional freedom is in the space of shifting our relationship with the emotions that arise. And the moment we shift our relationship with them, that's when we get the freedom mm. because we're not judging, we're not identifying, and it will just pass through us. Mm. And so I think there tends to be a conversation where either how do we become always more calm? How do we just be more Zen? How do we be that person that we've all pedestaled that we assume has this perfect calm life? Or how do we just project everything onto our children and make it all about them and it's all their fault and it's got nothing to do with us? And there needs to be this kind of middle ground that emotions will come. They're meant to come. It's part of the human experience. And in order to feel the depths of joy, we have to feel the depths of sadness. But what is our relationship with sadness? And are we, and I think especially in this world, one of the things that we do is we identify with it, so particularly with things like anxiety or sadness. We identify with it. We fuse with a, I am this, or this is who I am, instead of just it being an emotion that rises up and then is going to move through us if we can allow it to do that. Mm. Um, That's yeah. really powerful. And I'm just thinking then, like, how amazing if you can work on that within yourself, being able to sit with your emotions, because then you're giving your children the permission to sit with their emotions too. You're not telling them it's not okay to be angry. You're not telling them it's not okay to be frustrated. 
because you're allowing space for yourself to feel that. And that's so powerful. Like that's changing generations, which I think is really amazing because the work starts with us. And when you were saying that, I was thinking this is really powerful because I know for myself, when I first felt that intense rage that maybe some of you have felt as well with motherhood, I, yes, shaped (laughs) myself so much and I really judged it. I really identified with it. And I told myself like, oh my gosh, where does this come from? Am I crazy? Is there something wrong with me? Like I really made it mean something awful about me. There was a lot of guilt associated with it. And, and I also had the expectation that I shouldn't feel rage. So I told myself that I should be aiming for my household to be regulated and calm and zen all day, obviously setting myself up to fail 100% of the time. But I remember I went through a period where I was like, why is everyone always having friction during the day? Why is everyone always having? And then I was like, oh, Laura, because we're all human and we're all going to be, and you've got three tiny humans. So imagine everyone on their own roller coaster with all of the emotions, five people in your family. There's never going to be an extended period of time where everybody is fantastic, completely zen, chill. There's no loud noise and everybody's calm and quiet. And I think once I got to that point, I was like, oh, this is okay. You're not doing something wrong because your house is not quiet and calm and peaceful all day long. It's your relationship to it that's the problem. And I think that was really powerful for me to unlock, to go, rage is not bad sadness is not bad frustration is not bad it's just why can't you sit with that why can't you just see how that feels for you so what would your say we're talking about rage or you can pick another emotion if you feel like there's a more common one but for someone who really struggles like I did with every time that emotion comes up what's like the first step that you would get people to do I know you mentioned self-inquiry before but what would be the first couple of steps on how to sit with that better and how to have a better relationship with these emotions so that we're not going into those spirals of judgment and identifying as that. Yeah. I think it depends. And I think this is where one size fits all doesn't ever approach and doesn't ever work. And I think that this is the absolute challenge of parenting in the age of social media because we scroll through and we see something like some script that we're supposed to use or some idea and we go, oh, okay, I should be doing. And it doesn't work like that. So let's just name that first and foremost. And I'll give an example of because sometimes let's say the the intense rage comes up. For some people, a really beautiful practice would be to be able to enter into their body and sit with it at the sensation level. So not hooking into the story of what I'm making this mean about this rage, but just sitting with the heat or just sitting with the tightness. And what we know from neuroscience is that it only actually takes 90 seconds for an emotion to move through us if we are not making it mean anything or creating a story about it or judging it or identifying it. So if you can just sit, yeah. yeah, And so we've got this huge fear of emotions and what they mean. But if we could actually just sit with the body, it's a whole, whole lot less painful than pushing it away. It's like birth, right? When you just enter into it and those moments of birth where you're like, oh, okay, like it can't be bigger than me because it is me. Mm, It's the same with emotions. And so when we can surrender to it and sit with the tightness or the heat or whatever the sensation is that's coming up, then it can actually integrate into the nervous system and it can move through us quite quickly. But 
we can't give that one size fits all approach because for some people that will push them to their edge. And if they've had big T trauma or they've had, or they've just got a lot going on, then sitting with that rage may not be what they're able to do. Hmm. So I always talk about it at working at the mind, the body and the unconscious level and whichever level you need will be different depending on your season of life, depending on what's going on for you, depending on your history. Um, but yeah, just learning to be with the sensation is the process of feeling our feelings. And so if that feels like something you can do, that is a brilliant and important part of really learning to accept. Because what happens is, again, in the age of social media, is we intellectually accept emotions. We're like, okay, that's a good idea. I need to accept my child's emotions and I need to accept my emotions. So we get it at the intellectual level. We don't get it at the sensation level. And so the work is really dropping into the body and really getting what it means to accept rage is to accept the heat in your chest. Mm. Or what it means to accept rage is to accept the tightness in your throat. So it's actually a somatic practice of accepting the sensations rather than just intellectually being like, I'm okay with my emotions, which is what most of us, myself included, <laughs> what we do. Um so yeah, so that is one of the practices. But again, we have to, this is nuanced and we have to really yes. be understanding. And so another practice would be the mindset work is to really, what is the story we're telling ourselves about rage? Where does that come from? Where did we mm. pick up that? And is it true? Mm. Is it really true? And we start to really question and really inquire into what have we learned? What have we conditioned to believe? And is that that's something that we can really question and practice? Mm. Yeah, I love that. And would you encourage people to get like a pen and paper and maybe journal that down or however they need to process that from a mind point of view, just get all those thoughts out and maybe look at them like from a real objective point of view? Because sometimes, you know, when you get caught up in your head and you're like, oh yes, but this is true. And then you zoom out and you go, hang on, is that actually true? Like, I, is my mind playing tricks on me? Just because because I'm feeling rage, am I crazy? Am I unhinged and not stable and all of these things exactly. that I know my exactly. mind was making me think about myself as you've lost the plot. Mm -hmm. It's not normal to feel like this. Something's wrong. You're just losing your mind. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting what you said about the body because I know for me that's where my challenge lies. Like I think I can acknowledge it in my brain, but that, that only gets me like 10% of the way. I'm like, yep, cool. Okay, I've got rage. I know I can, can feel rage, whatever. Like I, I try to be like, I, I can calm down. It's okay. I can be calm. Where is this coming from? Da, 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 da. It's not a big deal. But, and then guess what? An hour later, I'm like, what? why is this coming up? And that used to happen to me where I'd have days where I felt like I just cycled between, it was all in my head though, because I never really dropped into my body. But I just cycled between, oh, I feel like this. It's okay, Laura. I would probably tell myself it was probably more dismissing of, you don't need to feel like that. It's okay. The kids drawing on the walls, it's not a big deal. You can wipe it off later. And then again, I'd come back into, oh, this is coming back. And it's obviously because I'm not actually expressing it. What you were saying, the 90 seconds, that's really shocking to me because I'm like, wow, imagine if we could just allow emotions to flow through us. Like I think of my daughters. And we're going to talk about this later, the difference between what I've noticed with my son and my daughter, for example, but they're very expressive personalities. And I used to find that really challenging. But what I've come to realize is they've got the key because they just get all these big emotions out of their body and then they're good. 
And then yeah. we just come back into balance. And I'm like, wow, that's a really good example of you let this big emotion just wash through you, but then you can see that they're regulated afterwards. And I could see, say on those days, I'm like, I'm never getting to regulation. I'm just cycling through the same stuck patterns. And you know, I never taught me about the body thing. Like I never grew up being like, what does this feel like in your body? But it's certainly something as an adult and a mother that I'm starting to sit with. And I think that's really powerful because our body holds the answer to everything. And when you can really sit with, oh, this is interesting. Like I do feel really tight here or the heat is, yeah, yeah. I think that's really powerful. And I think hearing you say that, I'm definitely going to take that on board a little bit more and like, I still think my default is to go to my mind yeah. and ignore what my body is doing. But I do think the power for me personally, like you said, it's unique to every individual where you're ready to work at. But I think the power for me is definitely in, oh, where is this in my body right now? And can I accept that? I love that word you use, accept that. Not resist it, not fight against it, not judge it, not make a story around it. Can I just accept that? And I report back to you how that goes for me. <laughs> And I just love and I think that's a really common, I think that's a really common story because we were conditioned as children to be in our head. Everything mm. was about our head. We were never allowed to be in our bodies. We were never allowed to have, we know that that the generation that we grew up in was like the kids didn't have tantrums because yeah. we learned pretty quickly to shut that down. And we learned pretty quickly that we need to stay in our head and explain why we're behaving away. And we needed to just be up here all the time. Mm. So. Now it's about retraining ourselves to sit with the intensity and to somehow get just as your girls beautifully do. They get it through the meltdown, for example. How can we get that energy out of our body rather than just trying to bypass it and saying, it's okay, I'm okay, I should be calm. There's nothing to worry about. Instead, just owning, whoa, I've got this big energy and I need to either be with it at its intensity or I need to find a way to get it out of my body. 100%. And I was just thinking then how you were saying it's not okay for kids and we're being taught that. I still think now, even though we've got a lot more literacy around it, we've got a lot more education. I think if you had two examples, one is someone saying to you, I feel really sad right now. I feel really anxious right now versus someone saying my stomach feels really tight, like my chest feels really contracted. I still think most of us would go, we probably dismiss the feelings in the body bit as being like, oh, what? really? Versus the the head part. We can go, oh, yeah, you're saying you feel this. And yeah, I can understand that. Versus if we describe how our bodies feel, I still think there's an element of, oh, that's a bit weird or that's a bit woo. Or I still don't think that we have that awareness or acceptance of that just yet. Um, and it would be so interesting for me, I think, to see the next generation come through who probably are a little bit more clued up to this, to see what sort of conversations they're having and how they're describing how they're feeling to people. I think it's going to be amazing to see people who don't know any different, who don't know anything else than this doesn't feel right in my body and being able to say that without feeling like they're strange. So I think that's great. Um, I just want to quickly touch on, so you said we've covered the mind and the body. Is there like the unconscious, is that sort of step three, like you start with the mind and the body and then you get to the unconscious or is that another entry point for some people if that feels more comfortable in terms of sitting with their emotions? Yeah, I guess it's just about um, it's just about where you're at and what comes up for you. So I think you asked before, how do we do the mindset work? So I, for example, will write down 
whenever I'm triggered during the week and I won't necessarily have time. And then I have a little book and I'll do the mindset work at least once a week where I write down my thought and I really get into the habit of questioning and challenging and unpacking that and doing an inquiry practice. But sometimes in the moment, that's not very helpful for me, or sometimes I can't access that. It's just something that I kind of practice so that in the moment it becomes easier. So that's like practically how that would look. And then obviously, yeah, the body work. Um, And the unconscious is, how could we could go into this in a lot of different ways. Let's (laughs) have a think about that for a second. What's actually practical to talk about? Yeah. And so I guess the unconscious, there's lots of different ways we can do the unconscious work, but it's about acknowledging that sometimes in our mind, we have a desire or we have a goal and, and there's. 95% of our behavior is driven by our unconscious. And so sometimes we can think, oh, I need to do this, or I I really want to be able to stop yelling at my child, for example. And I'll give an example I often use with a client who I had where she really wanted to stop yelling at her children to get them to school. But when we really explored that and unpacked that, what we discovered was that actually she was a migrant child who felt really like she didn't have a sense of belonging in her childhood. And her mind had made it mean that if she got her kids to school on time, they were going to fit into school. And so that offered them that sense of belonging that she never had. And so that offered them this sense of security and this freedom from the pain that she had experienced. And so she kept telling herself that I've just got to stop yelling. I've just got to get up in the morning and stop yelling. And when we really started to understand, she couldn't stop yelling because What she meant was, if I don't yell, then they're going to be late to school. And if they're late to school, that's a whole lot worse, Mm -hmm. right? So her 95% of her behavior was being driven by this unconscious fear that if I don't get my kids to school on time, they're not going to experience a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the work is really about getting deeper into what are we really believing here or what are we really afraid of? Mm -hmm. And if we're stuck and we're doing all of the right things, but it's not moving forward, Sometimes it can be about really getting curious about what our unconscious deeper desire might actually be. And in this case for her, it was these kids need to be on school on time because for me, that means belonging. Mm. And so the unconscious piece, sometimes it comes first. Sometimes it's a real aha moment for people, but I think it's just about the kind of practical step I would give around that is just stay curious. If you're, especially if you're really stuck, just get curious and ask yourself, what is the benefit to my yelling? How Mm. is this actually serving me? Because at some level it will be, and it's not the best. Obviously we still needed to update that pattern for her, right? This wasn't the best way to get her school, her kids to school on time, but we had to honor that part that needed that sense of belonging for her kids. And we needed to find a way to integrate that part of her. So that part of her that was driving this felt heard and seen and understood. And that's all part of the integration work. Does that mm, make sense? That's so powerful. Yeah, for sure. I think being able to really get to the bottom of it, like you said, if we're operating from 95% subconscious or unconscious, then like that's huge to be able to tap into where is this actually coming from? And I've had moments like that as well, where I'm like, I can almost see myself in the moment, whether I'm upset or I'm rushing the kids or whatever. And I think, where is this coming from? Because I know that I don't actually care about what I'm saying I care about, but there's obviously something deeper that I care about, but it's not what I'm projecting outwards. It's not about you've got to get out on time. It's what I'm making it mean about 
yeah, being on exactly. time or, or whatever yeah. it is. So I do think yeah. that's really powerful. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I feel like emotional freedom is absolutely a huge part. And like you said, it's not about not having these emotions. It's about how can we sip these emotions? And I think being able to describe it like mind, body, and unconscious and helping people enter into wherever they feel comfortable and just starting with a little bit of curiosity and self-inquiry and what what is this feeling like or what is this bringing up? I think that's a great first step for everyone. I love leaving listeners with something really tangible that they can go away and do after a podcast and being able to take all these things that we talk about up here, but really ground them down. So I think that's really amazing. Now, I want to talk about self-care and that's absolutely linked to all of this because we need to look after ourselves. We need to be feeling good as mothers. We need to make sure that our cups are full. I really like how you talk about self-care though, because, and I've done an episode on self-care and it's a similar idea, but I think we are peddled that self-care is this like bubble bath, day spa, go out for a night with your girlfriends sort of thing. Like you need to have that time away from your children and you need to go and fill your cup up elsewhere. And Whilst that may be amazing for some women, I actually think that's really unaccessible for a lot of mothers these days. And I wonder if we're always putting self-care at arm's length, how women are really going to feel with their mothering. And so what I like about how you talk about it, I think I'm actually going to quote you directly from one of your emails is that, and this might really sound hard to some people, but you said something. I know where you're going with this. You said something along the lines of you don't need extra time away or more yoga or meditation classes. You can use the ordinary everyday events of parenting to gain more emotional freedom in your life. So again, that's not to say yoga and meditation, all those things aren't great. But what I like is that you're saying you can fill your cup up and you can look after yourself and have self-care with your children. So could you just elaborate a little bit more on your thoughts around that? Mm. So I think as particularly the respectful parenting community, whether it's actually the respectful parenting community or whether it's just the way it's being perceived, I'm not so sure. Um, but there is this idea that, or, or we are maybe unconsciously or unintentionally becoming very child focused. And so we have this belief that we need to entertain our children that a lot of mums that I work with, they grew up having not felt seen or accepted and, and their little five-year-old, three-year-old self made that mean that's because mum didn't play with me or that's because dad didn't play with me. And so they've taken that belief system and inserted it into their life now. And they're like, I know how to avoid that pain for my child. I'm going to play with them whenever they ask me. And that was just a misunderstanding that they brought into, right? As a three or a five-year-old, of course, when you're not feeling seen and you're not feeling loved and you're not feeling appreciated, your little brain goes, oh, it's because no one's sitting on the floor and playing trains with me. That's actually not what it was. It was much deeper and, and more, um, yeah, it was deeper than that. And so now I think we've got a lot of parents who are feeling like I didn't feel seen and heard and they're making it mean it was because no one played with them. And so now they're entering into their own parenting journey with this goal of entertaining their child all the time, of being on the floor, of playing trains, of brooming cars, of doing imaginary dolls, and yet they don't like it. Yet it doesn't fill them. They don't feel joy. They don't feel like they don't like it. And so what happens in their day is this, with good intention, their whole day is filled up with these activities about their child that don't fulfill them. 
And so they get to the end of the day and they're burnt out and they're exhausted and they feel like they're doing everything that they should do. And so they're wondering, like, why do I hate this so much? Like, why is this so hard? Because it's become child-centered. It hasn't become family-centered. And so the mum is left and her needs aren't getting met. And so then sometimes I think we hear people go, okay, now we need to get the mum's needs met. So we need to, like, she needs to go out and, and have a night away or and, and that just doesn't necessarily work for a lot of people because of the way in which we live. Children are like their primary attachments are often their parents and they don't necessarily have that village of attachments, which would be ideal and great. But that means when the mum goes out, that can cause a lot of alarm for a child, for example. And then the mum has to come back and deal with that. So she gets back and everything's even harder. Mm. So I think we're just trying to clutch at straws in terms of how does everybody get their needs met and I think we really need to zoom out and recognize that it's the day needs to be structured in a way wherever possible where everybody gets their needs met and one of the most important parts of that is that the parent particularly the mother doesn't have to entertain the child for the child to get their needs met and so when we can take that off our list and we can see that for example like Yesterday, I took my kids to the park in the afternoon and I read a book while they played on the park. Like, I don't have to be running around with them, entertaining them at the park. Or this afternoon, you and I are going to go and hang out with a bunch of amazing parents while all of our kids play. And so we get our social need met while our kids get this desire to play and, and run around and be out in nature. And so it's always about, I think, zooming out and looking at our day and going, Am I leaning more towards too much of a child-centered day? And is that what's creating my suffering? Mm. And how can I put my needs on the list, but also have my child come along? Like, and I think one of the may, like, most easy ways to do this, which we're, we're really not, we tend not to think about it in this way, but housework is something that children actually enjoy helping us with. And we miss the part that they love being in our world. Mm. And they love being invited into what we're doing. And they love being the same as us. Like one of the, the ways in which children feel connected and attached to a parent is to feel the same as. And so when they're doing the washing just the way that we do the washing, they get their cup filled. Mm. But we're getting the washing done, which means that when they go to bed, we're not up doing the washing and the sweeping and the dishes because we've done it while they're there. Mm. So we've met their need for connection and we've met our need to get our chores done. And then that becomes the day where everybody can get their needs met. And for me, that's the self-care. Like it's not how do I go and get a massage, although if you can and you desire to, great. Like I do not want to criticize that. But I think it's even more basic than that, is how do we get the stuff done that we need to get done and how do we get the social need met, for example, while also with our kids? Mm. I love how you speak about it, Ash, because I I don't think that message is out there very much. Like you were saying, I think it's like you're either with your kids 24-7, playing with them, like really involved, or you're away from the family unit having your own time filling your cup up. And that just feels like these really extreme situations. Whereas what you're describing, that family-centered approach, I think that's so beautiful because, and I've had those days too, where you get to the end of the day and you did nothing quote unquote extraordinary, but you feel so calm, so happy, so regulated. Your kids are so happy. And you did things like the washing together, the dinner prep together, 
you got some sunshine and they played and you had a chai and you know it's those days where I feel so fulfilled as well and it's not because I went and had an hour massage and it's not because I went and did a yoga class it's just because we all got our needs met and I actually find sometimes when I used to have the approach of I need time away to be able to fill up the pressure I would put on myself I'd go away for an hour or whatever it is and maybe I'd go to the beach and I'd breathe and if I didn't feel like, like tip top amazing <laughs> I was like I can't go back until I feel 100% because otherwise yeah. that's a waste of my self-care yeah. time. And I put so much pressure on myself to be like, if you're having time away from the kids, like, girl, you've got to go from, if you're at a three right now, you've got to get back up to a 10 because now you've got to go home. And like you said, the emotions can be high sometimes because even though you've only been gone for a short while, they've really missed you. And it's just the intensity and the pressure of those situations for me was so enormous. Whereas you've really taught me, like you've probably been my biggest mentor in this space. I don't really hear that many people talking about it. Of really just filling everyone's cup up. And I think it was you that um, gave me the Venn diagram example. That oh. comes from Rachel Rainbolt. So yes. she, yes. She, and she has a beautiful example of it. Yeah. So she talks about the two circles meeting together and there's that little circle in the middle where everybody can get their needs met, the sweet spot. Yeah. 100%. And I really took that on board. Because I was that mum that was crawling around pretending to be a doggy and playing imaginary cafes. And I hate that. Like genuinely, I resent that imaginary place so much. And I shamed myself. I was like, oh my God, you're a yeah. terrible parent because you don't yeah. want to crawl around on your knees on this hard wooden floor and lick a water bowl and pretend to be a dog. You're, you know, you're not giving these kids the imaginary play that they need and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Like I made myself feel so guilty that I then would do it and be resentful for doing it. And I'd have this, oh, no, I've had enough now. And then it just never worked out because then they'd be upset. They no, because they felt it. And so play, play hat, in order for it to be play, it has to be freely entered into by everybody who's playing. So you can play with your child and it be play. But the most of these ideas that we think we're giving our kids this opportunity to play is not even play because our energy is, oh, okay, all right, no. oh, I've got 10 minutes and I'm looking at the clock and... I'm hating it. And they're feeling that. So now we've wrecked their play. <laughs> and then no one's getting their needs met. 100%. Mm. That authenticity piece was key as well. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I can't pretend to be here because mm. they know I'm not fully mm. here. And then no one's fulfilled right now. And guess what? They play so much better on their own with they those They don't sorts of need games. you to play. They really, you actually to wreck the table. <laughs> I am not good at it. I don't play very well. They're much better off without me. So yeah. that was really liberating for me though. Truly, it was really liberating to go, ah, oh, I can still be an amazing mum and yes. not have to say yes to yes. everything they request. Because I felt a lot of guilt if they say, hey, mum, can you play this with me? And I'm like, I don't, I just say now, I don't actually really feel like doing that right now, but I could play X, Y, and yeah. Z or yeah. Maybe your sister could play. Or the answer is, or you can come and help me do the washing. I'm yeah. doing the washing right now. I'd love you to have you join me if you like. Mm. And so the invitation for connection is always there. Yeah. And it's not always in the way that it's not a child-centered way. It's the way that actually this is what the family needs to get done. And yeah. this is what the family needs to continue to run. And so you can join me or you can choose to do whatever you like. Yeah. Totally up to you. Yeah. But it's not a, I'm not playing. Like it's not a brick wall. It's just yeah. like a, a divergent. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And like you said, that they really enjoy it. Like my daughter genuinely preps our dinner every single oh, night. Oh, your daughter's amazing. She is. Oh, my snacks. gosh. She can use a knife better than most adults. Like she yeah. loves doing that and we do it together. And it's this 
thing that we really enjoy together. And like my kids love washing the car and they love doing yes. all those things yeah. because we're doing it together and it's connection exactly. and it doesn't have to, and that's play, right? For them like that, play doesn't have to look like hot. This is another thing. Sorry, I'm just thinking about this right now. I used to think my kids were happy when they were like squealing and laughing their heads off mm-hmm. and like doing all these like really elevated things. And now I re- recognize, ah, oh, they're not like only happy when they're like squealing with laughter and like having the best time ever. Like they can be really calm and relaxed and that's them very happy and content as well. It doesn't, I don't have to make them laugh. I don't have to make them squeal with delight in order for them to have a good time. I think that was another really important piece for me to go, oh no, they're still having a great childhood, even if I'm not making them laugh every three seconds and whatnot. Um, this, oh, there's so many ways I want to take this conversation because truly this was a huge realization for me. I remember you and I've got another friend um, that we hang out with and I found this really confronting at the time because I was like, I don't get it. I, I actually don't understand how this can happen. But you used to, when your kids were little, read a book in the sunshine every afternoon and my girlfriend does it too. Like once a day she will read her book and sit down and I remember going, you must have unicorn children. That's impossible. I couldn't do that. That's just, that would never happen. And I realized it's because I think I have an unconscious belief that like I have to be on 24 seven, like I can't get my needs met when my kids are around, blah, blah, blah. And so then I was creating Creating a situation where I couldn't. So my kids would jump all over me and then I just go, oh, whatever. I can't read my book anyway. This is impossible because I never really set it up and made it a routine and make it a a consistent thing. Could you maybe just describe how you did that and how that works for you? Because I feel like a lot of women would be in the position I was in where they go, no way, there is no way I could have that time to read a book or have a coffee without my children just demanding my attention 24-7. Yes. So before I dive into the how, I love that you've brought up that unconscious desire because I think I see this a lot in the women that I work with. And it's really interesting to get curious about why, like, how is it serving me not to get my needs met during the day? Because sometimes for some women, they're actually unconsciously feeling if my partner comes home and I'm all zen and chill and I've had a really good day, then my role isn't worthwhile or I should be doing more, or so many of us got the conditioning that if we're not busy, we're not worthwhile because our achievement is tied up to our busyness and our busyness is tied up to our worth. And so just that real curiosity about, oh, like how is it serving me to create a day where I'm not getting my need met? Because sometimes it is actually unconsciously serving us because of those beliefs. So that's just a side Just before you carry on, because I think that's really important to note, because I recognized if JA came home and I was like, oh my gosh, we've had the best day. Everyone's so happy. That felt really uncomfortable to me because then I was like, but then he's going to think that what I do isn't hard. Isn't and it worth is hard. Exactly. And he's not going to value what I do because yes. he's going to think it's really easy. So therefore yes. there was an element of, oh, I'm stressed and I'm being busy and it's been hard. And because I wanted him to recognize that what I do is really valuable and really challenging at times. And so I absolutely had that same belief and I had to really sit with that and go, ah, that's so interesting because now you're creating a world where your life is hard and challenging and stressful and because you need it to be that way in order to feel seen. Yeah. Yeah. So how can we update that pattern and feel seen and valued without the unconscious 
complex way that we're doing it. <laughs> okay, now I've lost. What was our question again? <laughs> oh, how do I do the book thing? Okay. Yes. So in terms of the example of reading a book, so that was most important for me when I had a toddler and a new baby at home. And so I would set up a routine every day where I would sit down on the couch, I would get a cup of tea and I would have my book. And it was really just um, part of our rhythm where I would say, this is what I'm going to do. And, and some days it didn't work at all. Some days they would be climbing on me and I would have to move them and say, you get to sit next to me. You can read your book. You can play. You can do whatever you like, but I'm sitting here and I'm reading. Um, and it took some persistence, but over time, they just started to learn that this is what mum does. And I didn't always necessarily get, like, I still don't get the best reading done. Like I'm trying to, I was laughing the other day because I'm trying to read Dr. Gabor's, Dr. Gabor Mate's book, The Myth of Normal. It's like this fat. And I'm reading it at the park, getting through one page and I'm <laughs> deep in this thing. And then I've got to help a child because they've fallen somewhere or, and so it's not always the easiest way, but it's still, it always felt like it nourished me. And it always felt like a really important part of those long days with a newborn where I was like, this is just me. This is what I'm going to get done. And I knew that it was also serving them. Mm. I deeply believed because they didn't need me to entertain them. And they got to see me prioritizing myself and they got to see me doing what I loved. And so it just built over time until now, now it happens all the time. I get a book out and they play so much better when I'm reading. If I'm sitting there doing something, or I could be doing housework, but sometimes when I want to rest, and sometimes I don't even read. Sometimes I just get my book out so they think I'm busy. I just sit and contemplate or I just daydream. But them watching me in my world gives them the permission to enter more into their world. I love that. And I think... On those days where I felt really overwhelmed by parenting, it was because I felt like I had no white space to think. Like I literally felt like my brain was on from the moment I got up to the moment I went to bed. And that's exhausting. Whereas if you can factor in, just like you said, you don't even have to read or busy yourself. Just think, contemplate, have some white space. I can just imagine how different my newborn and early motherhood days would have felt, how much more nourished I would have felt by the end of the day. If I'd taken the expectation off that I just need to be on 24-7 in order to be a good yeah. mum, because really that's what it was that was going yeah. through my mind. Um, before we wrap this up, because this is such a fascinating conversation, there's two things I want to talk about with this whole entertaining your children. You did an amazing episode with your husband, Mike, on entertaining children. My serial and- entertainer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he just thought that, you know, to be a good dad, he had to always say yes to the kids and entertain them. But two things I want to talk about is, The first one, what you just mentioned on there is how your children independently playing is actually really good for them and that they don't need to be entertained, even though it looks like they're having the best time and they're getting those big squeals and the happiness and all of that, but how important independent play is for their minds and their rest and regulation and how I loved how you would say, like you knew when you got home after a day of work, if Mike had let them have independent play or not you could tell by the way the kids nervous systems were at like whether he'd entertain them all day or whether they'd actually truly had rest so let's start there and then I'll get to the second piece in a second but could you just explain why it is actually really important for them to dive into their own independent play and not to be entertained all day yeah so play is oh, I can I summarize this in one <laughs> 
but place. It's just <laughs> everything for children. It's what they should be doing all day and not where we create the play, but it's what David Gray, Peter Gray, called him the wrong name now. It's what Peter Gray calls self-directed play. Like it has to come from them. And that's what makes it really powerful and really healing because it's where they're working through emotions. They're working through conflict. They're releasing emotions. They're transforming emotions in their body. There's so much. And I was just talking to a mum actually the other day, a client whose little girl had a lot of worries. And she now says, to, she knows, and she says to her mum, and her mum's been beautiful at really intuitively passing on the wisdom without putting too much pressure on her. But she'll say, I need to play. And she said, her mum was telling um, me that she was just telling, a, the little girl was telling an adult friend, I know that when those butterflies come up in my body, I need to move my body or I need to play or I need to just have a big cry. And I was like, just that like intuitive knowing that kids know that she knows she needs to play because play helps her work through whatever it is that's being held in her body. Mm. And I think that we underestimate what children will go for, what they will naturally do, what they will get into. And it doesn't mean they don't get bored, like, but that boredom has its own beautiful important part of development as well um but yeah it just it, it it when it comes from within them and it's created by them they will learn what they need to learn they will work through the emotions that they need to work through and many times we will see a calmer more connected child afterwards 100% it's my favorite time when i see my children pottering around in their own little world while i'm doing my own thing close by to them like it swells my heart I'm, I get so happy just seeing them in their yeah their own world and it's just yeah it's a beautiful I never appreciated it. I didn't really understand the importance of it <clears throat> yeah I never really understood just how regulating it was for them and how therapeutic it was for them but now that I know that and I see that and I'm like oh my gosh this makes me so happy so so happy I find like my kids we used to have a really busy life like we were way overscheduled we were doing far too many things. It was, yeah, definitely not like a healthy rhythm for us all. And they didn't have a lot of time to dive into that because we were so busy. We were doing all these activities. We were catching up with people. And yes, they would play with their friends and whatnot, but that true independent play where they're just off in their own little imaginary worlds. Now that we've created more space and a life where they can have so much more of that, it's everyone's so much better for it because yes, that's when they're working out all the things they're feeling and yet it's powerful. It's so powerful. I absolutely love that. And I know you talk about that too. Like one of your favorite things is you'll be chopping onions at the bench and you just see your kids playing and you're just like, oh, this is the best. I love this so much. Yeah. The yeah. final part of this that I wanted to talk about was when you talk about emotional capacity for your children and not needing to entertain them all day, I think what's really important to mention as well is that when you're trying to entertain your children all day, you're trying to be always the person initiating the play and getting them involved and doing all of that. Obviously, we only have room for so much, right? We, we're not superhuman. We, we only have so much capacity. And what they really need from us is actually that we can really care for them with love and that when they've got big emotions, we can hold space for that. And we can be really tender with them when they truly need us to. And I like how you speak about the importance of having the space to do that because that's the important work as opposed to using up all of our capacity with playing with them. And that really hit home for me as well, because I would say 
on a day when I'd been trying to be this entertainer all day and play with them and I was feeling a bit resentful, I was feeling burnt out, I'd get to nighttime and I'd notice when we're brushing teeth and trying to get in our pajamas and everyone's resisting it and they're fighting it and I had no, I had nothing left Mm -hmm. and I had no playfulness left in me to try and gain cooperation and I'd often, that's when my temper would like really break because I'd be like, oh, I have played with you all day and now I'm asking you to brush your teeth and you won't do it and I am so overwhelmed and frustrated and this is not working. So, And it's that, isn't it? Like I love how you said it's that expectation that we think we're doing the right thing by playing and so then we burden them with I've played with you all day, therefore you should. And our little kids are like, what? need you to play with me all day. I just asked you to and you said yes. Like why is this my fault? And we just flip it onto them and I get that I think that is the unconscious expectation of so many parents of I have done so much for you all day now just get ready and go to bed Mm -hmm. but it's actually assumed that they signed this contract where (laughs) we agreed that hang on if I play with your day you're going to be really cooperative (laughs) and they're like I'm not going to be cooperative bedtime is the biggest separation for me that's the most alarming experience for me I'm not about to be cooperative right now I've got all these emotions coming up I didn't care that three hours ago we played Barbies. Mm -hmm. I'm just like dealing with in the moment. Yes. Um, And the problem is that my capacity was at zero because I put all these unrealistic expectations on myself during the day. And I just love, you've really helped me turn that around for me and go, where my children actually truly need me and not somebody else need me is when they're having big emotions and when they need to be actually cared for and looked after. Mm -hmm. And that's where my energy needs to go. And if I have leftover energy, oh my God, yes, I'll play with you and I'll do all those things. But first and foremost, I need to divide my energy yes. to the areas that matter because yes. their four-year-old friend can play with them, but they can't hold emotions and space for them when they're having a big meltdown. So could you maybe just speak a little bit more to that and the importance of that? I think that's a really important point to make. Yeah. So I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that this is what happens is that we are because we don't have that support that we should have to lots of caretakers, lots of adults around, we do feel like we need to do everything and that's just not going to work. And so one of the things that I always want parents to feel like they can do is take that role of entertainer off the list. And like you said, prioritize it on those things that are really important in terms of deepening attachments. And that are things like, how do we caretake for our children? How do we run that bath? How do we lift them up out of the bath? How do we put them to bed? Do we have any energy left over when they're maybe not ready to go to sleep and we're feeling frustrated? And that's where we want to prioritize that energy because that's the stuff that really matters for them. And they actually don't need us to be on the floor playing. So if we can save that for bedtime, for mealtime, for caretaking, for, like you said, big meltdowns where they need us to be able to have the capacity to hold their intensity. That is the more important work. For sure. I just, obviously, um, nighttime is when my energy would be at its lowest. And I just remember how hard nighttime was, night times would feel for me. It felt like every step of the getting to bed process was just this uphill battle. And it was so exhausting. And I was spent, I was resentful. And I felt like I'd had no time to myself. And I'd felt like I was just totally burnt out. And then brushing teeth was hard. Getting in the shower was hard. Getting dressed was hard. One more book, one more book, one more book. Get That was hard. <laughs> Lying down and falling asleep was hard. They're just like 
<laughs> I, I can't think of another word other than quote unquote non-compliance was hard. I was just like, I need people to listen to me right now because I have no capacity and I need space to myself and I am so burnt out. And I was not able to really give them the care and love that they needed for the entire bedtime routine. And I fast forward to now and bed is so beautiful and going to sleep is for the most part easy breezy. Like it's never perfect. Never perfect. No. I find now that at nighttime, because I've taken all this pressure off myself during the day, doesn't mean I don't play with them, but it's just the expectation of what I do with them during the day is totally different. And so by nighttime, I do that toothbrushing game that you do. Oh my gosh, my kids love it. I'm going to share this with everyone because this is total game changer. I actually shared this on the Instagram story once and legit people were like, tell me about the toothbrushing game. I totally felt like I was ripping you off because I was like, I am not the person who invented this, but I will share it because it works. We get all the animals out of their teeth. There's like kangaroos. Oh, yeah, I didn't invent that one either. I didn't. I don't, I don't know who that one came from, but that wasn't mine. Like yep. Chinese whispers of all these yeah, great exactly. games. But every night they say to me, Mum, can you do the animal game with my teeth? And they look forward to it. And it's just this silly little game about, oh my gosh, there's a kangaroo in there. Let's brush it away. Or there's an echidna. And they come up with the ideas for the animals. And what was the most tedious, like hair pulling exercise of my life has now become genuinely like a part of the day that everyone looks forward to. They want me to get these animals out of their teeth. And it's just been incredible to see the difference in these nighttime routines. They go to bed really like fairly easy because they're calm, they're relaxed. I'm relaxed. I'm not wound up and tense and saying silly things like, oh, like sure, Laura, they're going to go to sleep because you yelled at them to go to sleep. We've all tried it. We've all tried these moments in parenting where you're like, it's clearly going to work. Never going to work. It's really changed like mm. everyone's vibe at nighttime. And I just and it really- starts with the, it starts like it, we, it goes back to how we've had this whole conversation basically of it starts with what are those unconscious beliefs around what I should be doing? It starts with the thought that we have to entertain or we should do this. It starts with the belief that we don't think we can get our needs met. Like, and then, People come to me and they're like, well, you put these like annoying, playful parenting games on Instagram and I don't have energy for that. How do I get energy for that? I'm like, it, it goes way back. It doesn't start at the moment of teeth brushing. It starts mm. at the start of the day. It starts with your unconscious beliefs. It starts with the mindset work. Like it's all of that leads to the capacity to then do the game, which we know is developmentally going to be what moves them through a routine. Yeah. It definitely, it starts as soon as you open your eyes. It's not just, yeah, when you're getting to that game. I just had a a moment the other day, I was thinking about it, where my son was like, mom, can you play this with me? And I was like, no, I've actually got a lot to do. We're in a big life transition right now. I genuinely do actually have a lot of stuff to do. And I noticed that guilt crept in when I Mm -hmm. said, no, I can't do that. And I noticed straight away that I was like, good mums would do this, Laura present mums would do this. You're not a great mum. Then I was like, oh, no, I'm actually a great mum. I really am. And I listed off all the reasons I was a great mum. This is almost like automatic. Like this wasn't a long process. Yeah. And I could really sit with saying no to him and feel really comfortable in that. And he was a bit antsy and like it took him a minute or two to really find his flow. And then I looked outside and all three of my kids were on the trampoline playing like the most beautiful game together. They were in stitches. They were giggling. And it was a really amazing confirmation opportunity for me to go, aha, 
That is what I have just created space for by being able to hold a firm, loving boundary to say, I don't have the capacity for that right now. Like mum needs to be doing something else, but you are so welcome to do whatever. They then had this beautiful Mm -hmm. connection opportunity with each other. They had so much more fun than what I would have been doing with them. And it was just a really beautiful reminder of, oh, yes, like sometimes there's always that friction and that build up where you're like, oh, they don't like this. And it can be easy to be like, oh, fine, I'll just do that thing because I don't want to feel those emotions that you're having. But when you let them just slip into that independent play and it's so beautiful. And that family-centered approach is just so wonderful. So, yeah. Uh, I love this. Ash, is there any final things that you'd love to share on this topic before we wrap it up? I think this is going to be game-changing for so many women out there. I want to add to that part that you just said then where they got into their play. I love that. And I think we really notice, need to notice those opportunities. And it's also okay if they're antsy and they're mm. frustrated and they're bored and the big emotions are coming up because those big emotions are not being caused by you not entertaining them. You not entertaining them, allowing what was already inside to now surface and be held and heard. And so it, it could, sometimes it can look beautiful and it can really sort itself out and they can find their zone. And other times it looks a lot more messy and it still doesn't mean you need to go in and rescue them because what's happening is that emotion that was already inside is just getting an opportunity to come up. Mm-hmm. And then that's the work. The boredom has like, yeah, there's so much in that boredom. Um, I think that's a really good don't point. Don't be afraid actually. of that either. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because I probably still yeah, tend towards the, oh yeah, like this is not working and sitting with the discomfort of that is so important. Like Mm -hmm. I really love that you mentioned that. Thank you so much, Ash. This has been an amazing conversation. I know that everybody is going to be taking all of these ideas home and just like really feeling like they've got something they can action in their everyday life to expand their capacity, to have a little bit more self-care and emotional freedom over their days and I just I know this is life-changing for women so yeah thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me and I'll see you in a few hours yeah for one of our like (laughs) family-centered activities (laughs) I love it thanks Laura for having me hello mamas I really hope that you love that chat and that you got so many nuggets of wisdom out of it as I did even though I know Ash's work and I talked to her as a mother to mother, I still learned so much from this episode and it was still such a really good reminder for me to really practice the things that I know, to really ground myself amongst my kids, to really have practices where they can see me regulating my own nervous system, to really sit with the whole variety of my emotions because it's easier said than done. And there's definitely still emotions and things that come up for me that I go, oh, nah, too tricky, too challenging. Don't want to think about that. Don't want to sit with it. But As Ash said, it doesn't actually take very long at all for an emotion to pass through us if we actually just let it. So being with ourselves, being with our bodies, being with our emotions is so, it's not a luxury. It is just so fundamentally important. And so I really hope that you got a lot of takeaways from that and a lot of practical things that you can start to implement into your day-to-day life with your children to hopefully gain more freedom, emotional freedom, which is really so beautiful. So I hope you love this chat. Please go follow Ash at Raising Humans Kind. She has amazing offerings and you can jump on board and please come on over to App Physio Laura and tell me what you loved about this episode. Keep your eyes peeled. We have one more interview coming out next week and then the podcast will be taking an indefinite hiatus while I go and cocoon 
give birth to baby number four and yeah, just really be with my family for a little bit of time. So enjoy. Thank you so much for being here. I'll be back in your ears next week and I hope wherever you are, you're having a wonderful day and I'll chat to you soon.